The Biden administration has claimed that all sorts of political enemies pose the greatest terror threats to our civilization. White people, grannies at the Capitol, parents who don't want their kids being taught critical race theory and gay porn in kindergarten. But the science tells a different story. According to a study that was conducted last year, it's available on the NIH website, quote, transgender and gender diverse youth emerge as the group at the highest risk of support for violent radicalization. The study authors define violent radicalization as, quote, a complex and multidimensional phenomenon defined as a process whereby an individual or a group increases support for violence as a legitimate means to reach a specific, for example, political, social, and religious goal. Of course, of course this is the case. We don't need a scientific study to tell us that unreasonable people are the most likely people to be unreasonable. We don't need a study to show us the consequences of encouraging troubled people to delve deeper into unreality. Liberals have dubbed this week the trans week of visibility. We know the horrific way the week started in Nashville. We know how it progressed. The week progressed with a statement from a transgender organization mourning the death of the shooter and excusing her slaughter of elementary school students as a consequence of alleged hate from conservatives. The week progressed with multiple network news outlets blaming conservatives for provoking the shooter because we don't think men should be allowed in the women's bathroom because we don't think girls should be forced to shower with men in their locker rooms. And now the week will end with yet another transgender group hosting a trans day of vengeance in Washington, D.C., and possibly once again in Nashville. We don't need a scientific study to tell us that erratic and troubled people are the people most likely to support erratic and troubling things. And unfortunately, the scientific study probably won't do much good because the people who most need to read it, our ruling class, won't even accept the basic science of biology. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. We've got the threat of violence, threat of death all around us. And then simultaneously, you have people in Silicon Valley, computer scientists predicting that within a matter of just eight or so years, human beings will achieve immortality. I'm somewhat skeptical, but this computer scientist who's predicting it has a pretty good track record, which we will get to in just a little bit. I don't want it to seem like I am, I am just pointing to fringe groups or weird little social media people who are encouraging violence on behalf of transgenderism against conservatives, against people who think boys and girls are different. Prominent liberals are doing this. Mainstream people are doing this. The press secretary for the Democrat governor of Arizona, Katie Hobbs, posted yesterday, posted, I'm sorry, posted on the day of the Nashville shooting by the transgender identifying woman. This was 9.30 at night, so this is many hours after the shooting. She said, us, when we see transphobes, 
And it's a picture of a woman holding two pistols, finger on the tri- fingers on the trigger. It was not, oh, just accidental, wow, bad timing. Oh, gosh, this looks really bad because there was a shooting. This was many hours after the shooting. She was posting this in response to the shooting. She said, yeah, if you're a transphobe, by which we mean if you don't believe that men can secretly be women, if you don't think men should be able to strip down naked in your little daughter's changing room, then you're a transphobe and we're going to shoot you dead. That's what, th- this is the press secretary for the sitting Democrat governor of Arizona. She lost her job, fortunately. Her resignation was accepted. As far as I can tell, she was allowed to stay on social media. I don't think that tweet was taken down. My tweet was taken down. My tweet was taken down for quoting the Bible, quoting a verse of the Bible that says, do not take vengeance. (laughs) Quoting one of the most peaceable quotes in the Bible. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. It's really two Bible verses because it's St. Paul quoting Deuteronomy. And my tweet was taken down for that. Now, Twitter has tried to excuse this and say, well, we were just trying to take down any tweets related to the trans day of vengeance. So it was, it was a technical error, which if that were the case, I would be totally supportive of it. I think that's a good thing. I, I think society necessarily has standards and norms and taboos. I think that, that the powerful institutions in society have the right and, frankly, obligation to enforce proper standards and norms and taboos. And I don't think that these maniacs calling for violence against normal people ought to be able to do that on social media. So I, I'm all for that in principle. This is the thesis of speechless controlling words, controlling minds. But the, the, what, what happened with the, the Twitter incident here is that people got caught up in this net. So if you criticized the trans day of vengeance, then you would also be taken off of the platform. All right. And now it's come to Twitter's attention. So why aren't, why aren't we being reinstated? It's not, it's not just me. It's me. It's Sean Davis. I, at Federalist, I think it's Luke Rosiak, our own Luke Rosiak. I think he got taken down. There are a number of other people. I don't know how many people because I'm not on Twitter at the moment, but I'm not, I'm not, uh, upset with this in principle. Obviously, people are always going to be taken down from Twitter. I would much rather people be taken down for spreading something like the trans day of vengeance, but that's not what happened to the conservatives. So if Twitter reinstates our accounts, okay, you know, that's fine. These things happen. If not, though, I have to wonder, is the Musk era of Twitter all that much different from the era before? This is a, it is a little strange that the accounts objecting to the trans day of violence have not been reinstated. Whereas the, the, uh, some accounts calling for transgender activists to murder quote unquote transphobes, those accounts are still online. That doesn't, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Now, speaking of Elon Musk, Elon Musk has just issued a very powerful statement, not on Twitter, on the future of computing and the future of humanity which we'll get to in one second. When things go crazy, you're going to want to have reliable, tangible assets. You're going to want to check out Birch Gold. Right now, text Knowles to 989898. The Fed has a tendency to print money during times of economic distress like they did during the COVID-19 pandemic. This has resulted in the loss of value of a dollar and an increase in the value of precious metals like gold. Gold will always have value because it's a tangible and finite resource. 
uncontrolled by any single government or financial institution. Gold cannot simply be printed on a whim like paper currency. As the value of our dollar continues to decline, it becomes increasingly important to hedge against inflation by diversifying at least some of your assets into precious metals. The only company I trust to help you diversify into precious metals is Birch Gold. Birch Gold also makes it easy to convert your IRA or 401k into an IRA backed by physical gold and silver. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, thousands of happy customers, and countless five-star reviews, Birch Gold is the company I trust to protect my future, and so should you. Text Knowles, Canada BLES, to 989898 to claim your free info kit on gold today and talk to a precious metals expert. That's Knowles, Canada WLAS, to 989898. Elon Musk has just signed a statement with Wozniak from Apple, with a lot of top computer scientists and AI developers urging a six-month moratorium on the development of AI. I signed up yesterday for one of the fancy AI programs where you have to pay like 10 bucks a month to, to be able to try it out. And I did it because I heard that these fancier AI programs were much, much, much more impressive than the freebies that everybody gets to try out. And so I thought, all right, I want to see how good this stuff really is. It's unbelievable. The artwork that it can produce, the compositions that these programs can produce, it is unbelievable. A lot of people thought that AI might be useful for calculations, for some aspects of business, but the one thing they could never do is create art or poetry. That's something that only humans can do. And what do we find out? The thing that AI is best at, perhaps, is art and poetry. So we just don't really know what this thing is and how how far it's going to go and how quickly it's going to go that far. So what Elon and the other people have suggested is, quote, such decisions about the development of AI must not be delegated to unelected tech leaders. Powerful AI systems should be developed only once we're confident that their effects will be positive and their risks will be manageable. This confidence must be well justified. This is, of course, true. And you, you might hear some people insist, I, either on the left or on the right, insist that, no, we can't have the government limit creativity. That's probably what you're going to hear from the left. Or you might hear from the right, you can't have the government stop the progress of the free market or whatever. But AI is potentially very, very dangerous. <laughs> AI will almost certainly transform our society in ways that we haven't seen, certainly since the development of the internet, maybe since the development of industrialization, maybe since the development of who knows. And so the point that Elon is making and Wozniak and the rest of the CompSci guys is, is not even a point about AI. It's a point about politics. Whatever happens with AI, a development at this scale is a political matter. In recent decades, our conception of politics has become really, really shallow and narrow. On the left, the, the leftists have said, keep your politics out of my bedroom. Keep your politics out of my drug bin. Keep your politics out of whatever I want to do socially. And on the right, the conservatives have said, keep your politics out of my business. Keep your politics out of my bank account. Keep your politics out of my personal life. But politics is just what we do together. Politics just means public. And, and the, the conception of politics at the founding of our country was a much more robust conception. The whole idea of self-government is that we're going to be really involved in politics and we're going to come to conclusions about the world and how we want to live and then we're going to impose them on the society 
through our, through our vote and through our elected representatives. Could you imagine if the nuclear bomb were being developed just after it was developed, and then the nuclear bomb were, were strictly a private matter? So keep your politics out of my business, man. We're building a bomb. No, of course not. It's a highly political matter, and people have the right to put some limitations on it. The fact that we haven't seen nuclear weapons used in war since World War II is very impressive, and it attests to the ability of political action to keep a handle on things in society. I think, I think Elon is totally right. I'm still miffed that I'm not on Twitter right now, so Elon, please take, put me back on Twitter and don't boot me off of the social network for quoting the Bible. Uh, but he, he's absolutely right about, about AI. This is a political decision. And speaking of the political fight, we have potentially a new candidate in the 2024 presidential race. I'm not even going to let you guess. This is not a candidate that anybody would have been guessing. From New Hampshire on the campaign trail, we cut to Chris Christie. Let me tell you something. You better have somebody on that stage who can do to him what I did to Marco. Because that's the only thing that's going to defeat Donald Trump. And that means you got to have the skill to do it. And that means you have to be fearless. Because he will come back and right at you. And so you need to think about who's got the skill to do that and who's got the guts to do it. Because it's not going to end nicely, no matter what. His end will not be a calm and quiet conclusion. If I run again, I can't imagine that I would continue to do it the same way, because I think it's the best way to communicate. But this time, if I run, I would just hope that you'd come to a better conclusion than you did the last time. <laughs> so he has a little joke there. Uh, it didn't work out last time that I ran, but this time maybe I could run. Look, he's up in New Hampshire. He's talking about how, how talented he is at politics and destroying people on the debate stage. He makes a good point about Trump. He says, Trump's, Trump's not going quietly. Some of the people now, especially the people who are backing, who are f- formally backing Ron DeSantis, or even people formally backing the other candidates who are in the race who are much lower in the polls than Ron DeSantis, they'll say, why can't Trump just step down and go away and, and usher in a new era of Republicans? Yeah, I don't know. How come the sun's got to shine? <laughs> How come birds got to fly? Trump is never going to do that. Okay. How come reality isn't the, is the way that it is? Uh, it's just, it is, man. And, and it, you can deny it all you want, but that's not going to change anything. So Christie saying, no, he's not going to go quietly into that night. And so someone's got to have the skill and the talent to destroy him on the base stage in the way that I destroyed Marco Rubio. You remember, Chris Christie absolutely short-circuited Marco Rubio. It was a brilliant debate performance and it destroyed Rubio's candidacy. But Christie didn't do that to Trump. They were running against each other. He just couldn't do it. Nobody did it to Trump. I'm not convinced anybody can do it to Trump. Maybe Ron DeSantis can. We'll see that in the primary campaign. I'm not really convinced anybody can do it, though. So this ought to be a warning. Chris Christie means this as a warning to the other candidates to to mean you guys better be ready for what you're in for because Trump's going to come at you like a freight train. To me, that's not the warning. I think this is a clear warning to Ron DeSantis, but the real warning to Ron DeSantis here is know your moment. 
The real warning that Chris Christie gives to Ron DeSantis is don't miss your moment. Chris Christie would have been a formidable presidential candidate in 2012. He had some of the biggest names in politics calling him saying, run, run, run. He, I think, could have, he was riding high as the governor of New Jersey. He had a little bit of crossover appeal because he was from a blue state, but he had a lot of conservative support. He certainly had more support among conservatives than Mitt Romney did. But he chose not to run. He said, I'm not ready. Then by the time he is ready, no one wants him to be president anymore. Politics changes so quickly, especially presidential politics. This is Ron DeSantis's moment. This is, this moment right now is for Ron DeSantis what 2012 was for Chris Christie. If DeSantis doesn't run now, I'm not convinced he will ever have another moment. I'm not saying that Ron DeSantis will win if he runs now. He might get completely destroyed by Donald Trump. But this is his moment. And you can see Christie, even all these years later, after 2012, which was his moment, we're now over a decade later, and he just wants that presidency so bad, but it will continue to elude him. Now, all that said, Trump is dominating the field. There's a new poll out from Quinnipiac. Trump is 14 points ahead of, of Ron DeSantis, who's the number two challenger, and no one else comes even close. So that's in a, in a field with multiple candidates. Nikki Haley, Mike Pence, they're polling for Ted Cruz, even though Senator Cruz doesn't appear that he's going to run. Vivek Ramaswamy's on the board with a point, which is quite impressive for a candidate who came out of nowhere and has very low name recognition, the very beginning of his campaign. So even with all those candidates, Trump's got a 14-point lead. And then they measured head-to-head against Ron DeSantis. In a head-to-head matchup, Trump is still leading by 10 points, 52 to 42. And Trump has a higher favorable rating over Republicans than DeSantis does. Because the whole argument is that Trump is deeply unlikable, and that's why we have to move on from him. Well, he's got a higher favorable rating. That's close. DeSantis is very likable too, but it's 79 to 72. So the race remains, as I've said from the beginning, the race is Trump's to lose. He's still the favorite. He's where the money ought to be. Can Ron DeSantis turn that around? He might well be able to do it. Will he be the nominee? He might well be the nominee. But right now, no matter what you're hearing from the chattering class and all the political operatives, right now the numbers are quite clear. This is still Trump's race. So what happens? Whoever gets it, Trump, DeSantis, Vivek, I don't know, whoever gets it, the challenge is to restore not just the GOP, not just conservatism, capital C, trademark over the M, but to restore the country. The country is in deep trouble. We've been talking all week about how the country has just gone crazy. Why is that? There's a new poll out from the uh, Wall Street Journal, NORC. It shows that support for traditional American values has declined. It's declined precipitously almost across the board. This poll measured five areas. Patriotism, community involvement, religion, having children, and money. Only one of those has increased. (laughs) Guess which one? I think you know. The people still like making money. People still support making money. But all the other ones have declined precipitously. So now we are just worshiping mammon. <laughs> What's it say in the Bible? Seek ye first money, and then all the other stuff will follow. No, I don't, think, I don't think that's quite what it says. All of the things that make our country great, people no longer value. Patriotism, religion, ki- having kids, community involvement. Just money we value. How'd that happen? It hasn't happened in a vacuum. Sometimes you'll hear feckless, well-intentioned conservatives say, well, we've just got to, you know, encourage people. 
We got to restore those values. The values haven't collapsed in a vacuum. They've been crowded out. They've been replaced by other values. Other values that conservatives have failed to suppress, have failed to refute in the name of the free marketplace of ideas and neutrality and the blessings of liberty to support things like Drag Queen Story Hour, we have surrendered our deeply held political beliefs. And we've we've surrendered that ground to these values. Why is patriotism on the decline? Because the libs have enshrined in our education system, in our culture, in our law in some places, anti-Americanism multiculturalism, the idea that America is evil. That's what kids are taught now. That's what kids are taught in government schools. That's a posi- the position of the state is that America is bad and that nationalism is bad and that we all should just be citizens of the world kumbaya. That's why it's declined. Why is religion declined? Because the state has decided to ban the Bible from schools and ban prayer from schools and ban religion in many ways from public life. That's why it wasn't an organic development. It was imposed by political activists wielding political power. Why is having kids on the way down? Because the government decided to encourage contraception. The government decided to enshrine baby slaughter, abortion as a matter of law. Fortunately, now we've had a reprieve from that. We've overruled Roe v. Wade. So there's a chance to push back for a culture of life. Why is community involvement down? Because the state has grown Uh, immensely and taken over a lot of areas that were previously controlled by charities and civic associations because religion has declined, because of, of economic policies that have destroyed communities, that have destroyed towns, that have intentionally shipped jobs overseas, shipped manufacturing overseas, hollowed out the American middle class. That's why it hasn't happened in a vacuum. This has been a deliberate agenda. I'm not saying it's a shadowy cabal that's intent on destroying our nation. I suppose it might be, but it might be a not so shadowy cabal that pursued a political agenda that has harmed our country and that has put forward terrible beliefs because they sincerely believe them, but they're sincerely wrong. And we need to have the courage and the clarity to say, you are sincerely wrong. You're not going to teach that crap in schools. You're not going to kick the Bible out of schools and replace it with gay porn and genderqueer and all this other degeneracy. We're, we're not going to allow you to ship our jobs overseas and to destroy our communities. And we're not going to, we're not going to tolerate a, a national policy of, of, stopping people from having kids and destroying marriage. We're not, we're just going to say no. You're imposing your terrible values on us. We're going to say no to that. And we're going to reimpose true belief. We're going to reimpose ideas and institutions that are conducive to human flourishing because politics is not merely downstream of culture. The law is also a teacher. And if you want to have a better culture and you want to have a better country, we need to get serious about political action. This is supposed to be a self government. All politics, of course, boils down to religion. Ultimately, all human conflict is theological. So I would strongly recommend you get your prayer life in order and you check out Hallow. Right now, go to hallow.com slash Knowles. In a society rife with anti-religious ideologies, like the ones we hear from the libs on a daily basis, it can be incredibly challenging to ground oneself in what we know to be true and good. During this season of Lent, it's more important than ever to embrace our faith and start building a habit of prayer and meditation. Join me and thousands of others on Hallow, the number one Christian prayer app in the United States. Hallow is helping all of us to maintain a daily prayer routine. It can help you right now. Download the app for free at hallow.com slash Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S. You can set prayer reminders and track your progress along the way. You're not sure where to start? Maybe check out my favorite podcast, Father Mike Schmitz's Bible in a Year, available on the Hallow app for brief 
daily readings and reflections. Or pray alongside Mark Wahlberg and Jonathan Rumi, who portrays Jesus in The Chosen. With Hallow, you can customize a personal prayer plan that works for you. Listen wherever you are with downloadable offline sessions. Download Hallow at hallow.com slash Knowles and get an exclusive three months free, which will carry you through Easter and Lent. That is three months free at hallow.com slash Knowles. What values are we supporting? All the traditional American values have collapsed other than making money. So what values are we supporting? We conservatives. Well, according to NBC, Republicans and conservatives, we're turning to anti-trans rhetoric. The conversation is pivoting, too, when it comes to some more conservative lawmakers from changing gun laws to something like mental health, for example. Other Republicans to anti-trans rhetoric or to calling this a hate crime against Christians. It seems like that's where the conversation is, at least in the House of Representatives. Yeah, there's been a, a long list that's evolved over the years where, uh, you know, a lot of pro-gun lawmakers have been you know, pointing the, the blame. It's gone from video games. Uh, there's a lot of talk about mental health, alienation. Uh, now there's uh, some focus on the fact that the shooter was apparently transgender. But the bottom line is Republicans don't want to, you know, tighten gun laws. And as a result, a number of these other explanations are coming up. I think they're getting the order backwards, saying, listen, these Republicans really just, they don't want to ban guns. And so they're coming up ex post facto with all these ridiculous explanations of why America's lost its mind. Uh, but, but it's all just because they don't want to ban guns, which are obviously the real problem. As I pointed out on this show, the only thing we know cannot lie at the cause of an increase in these mass shooting events, these school shooting events, these particularly gruesome crimes. The only thing that cannot explain that is guns. Because guns have not really changed over the last century. Guns have existed for a thousand years and they have improved in lethality over time, but they haven't really changed in the last hundred years. The machine gun was invented in 1884, the portable machine gun. The Tommy gun was invented in 1918, a lot more deadly than whatever rifles you can go buy at Walmart right now. Furthermore, the AK-47 was invented in 1947. That's where the name came from. The AR-10 and the AR-15 were invented in the 1950s. It was a long time ago. These guns have all been around for a very long time. That's not what's changed. What has changed is our approach to mental health and spiritual reality and political institutions. An approach which has caused all of those to collapse hasn't caused, the one thing it hasn't caused to collapse is spiritual reality. It's just caused our relationship to spiritual reality to become deeply, deeply perverted. So now the GOP is turning to anti-trans rhetoric. What is anti-trans rhetoric? I don't even know what that means. I know what pro-reality rhetoric is. I engage in pro-reality rhetoric. I, I, that's my favorite kind of rhetoric. Rhetoric can be used to any persuasive end. Rhetoric doesn't necessarily need to concern itself with true things. This is Plato's criticism and, the, and Plato's Socrates' criticism of the rhetoricians and the sophists, is that they don't care about the truth and they don't care about philosophy. I, I want to make sure that whatever rhetoric I'm engaging in is concerned primarily with the truth. And the truth is that a man can't really be a woman and a woman can't really be a man. And I know that seems to 
irritate some people. And I know that seem, that that basic statement of reality seems to provoke some people to violence. But it's the truth, and I'm not going to lie, and you people are not going to make me lie. <laughs> you on NBC, you in the White House, you activists threatening us with a day of vengeance. None of you are going to make me lie. Anti-trans rhetoric, what does that mean? It means you think that men and women are different, that they're real, natural categories and little girls should not be forced to get changed in a locker room with deeply confused naked men. That's what it means. If that's anti-trans rhetoric, I guess I'm engaged in it. You know why I'm engaged in it? Because it's true. Our entire culture, our entire legal system, our entire government should be engaged whenever this issue comes up in anti-trans rhetoric. Not rhetoric aimed against people who are confused. Rather, rhetoric aimed at the absurd ideology that is confusing those people. Because that ideology is harming a lot of people. It's harming the people who have fallen prey to its deception. And it's harming the people that those deceived people are now harming and advocating that others harm as well. We, we should all, always engage in pro-reality rhetoric from the highest level. There's no neutrality here. There's no middle ground. There's no middle ground between clear truth and clear falsehood. Pick a side. The state is not neutral. You know how I know the state's not neutral? You remember back when Roe v. Wade was overruled? When, when there was a leaked document from a court leaker whose identity apparently we're never going to know, there were only about a dozen people that it could possibly be, but for some reason, we still don't know who leaked that document out of the Supreme Court. And it was leaked to put political pressure on the judges and to threaten the judges with violence to change their vote before Roe v. Wade was overruled. And the, and the license, national license to abortion was declared silly. So there were protests outside of the judges' homes, Kavanaugh, Alito, Barrett, I think Roberts too. Uh, there was an attempted assassination of Justice Kavanaugh. And the question at the time was, why are these protesters allowed to protest? It's a federal crime to protest at a judge's home, certainly, really even at a courthouse with the intention of changing the verdict in a case. That's a federal crime. It's defined in the U.S. Code. Why were these people not arrested? Why were they not dispersed? Well, now we know, according to documents obtained by Alabama Republican Senator Katie Britt, Joe Biden's attorney general, Merrick Garland, ordered the U.S. Marshals not to arrest the protesters. He said it shouldn't be a top priority. This is being reported by Washington Times. Merrick Garland told senators earlier this month that his prosecutors could not bring cases against these criminals who were intimidating judges, and in one case, then ultimately attempted to kill a judge. Uh, unless those marshals made arrests and the marshals on the scene didn't think there was reason to do that. But that was a BS explanation. The reason they didn't think there was reason to do that is because Merrick Garland told them not to. So Garland told the marshals to stand down, encouraged the leftists to break the law to try to influence the decision, and then lied to the Senate. They were actively discouraged from 
arresting the protesters, according to these documents. That was the political purpose that the Biden administration wanted to affect. Law be damned. No neutrality here, folks. If, if, you, if you lament that American values have declined, just look at the values that have replaced them. You're going to believe something or another. Everybody's got to serve somebody. Are we going to have the clarity and the courage to impose our vision? I think our vision is true. I think our vision is good for everybody. You know the libs are going to impose their vision on us. Their vision is evil. Their vision is harmful to everybody. Which is it going to be? Are we going to have the courage to govern ourselves? You know, postmodernism's belief that truth and beauty are subjective is flawed and extends to fundamental beings, the fundamental beings such as God. Keith Getty, the songwriter responsible for, for a modern day hymn, discusses this idea in Jordan Peterson's Logos and Literacy. John 1 begins with, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. God is before all time. If he is the creator of the world, he created beauty. Beauty and truth are linked together. The postmodernists will tell us that beauty doesn't exist. It only exists in, in whatever you can create for yourself in life. But we believe that all the evidence around us points to a world, to music, to human love that all point to beauty, that point to a creator, God. Here is where I would normally tell you that Logos and Literacy is only for Daily Wire Plus members, but we are making it available for free for everyone at dailywireplus.com, only for a limited time. So watch Logos and Literacy today at dailywireplus.com. My favorite comment yesterday is from Maria Marconi, who says, the subtlety and delicacy with which the editing team removes language that YouTube censors is stunning. What artistry, what technical precision. Thank you very much. All credit there goes to producer Danny because there are certain things, and big tech has clamped down on this in recent weeks. There are certain things where if you say it, your video will be removed, you get a strike, they'll nuke your channel, and that's it. You're out. You can't get a message out to the zillions and zillions of people on these platforms. So I refuse to be censored, but I also refuse to commit seppuku on these platforms so that the libs can say I censored myself. So how do we get around it? Well, the way we get around it is really talented editors <laughs> making clear exactly what the story is and what the truth is. But if you want to hear all of the exact words, you got to go to Daily Wire Plus. That's, that's how we can be wise as serpents and innocent as doves over at dailywire.com. Use promo code Knowles. You will get two months free. And then we can all keep chatting together, perhaps in perpetuity. And when I say in perpetuity, I mean perpetuity. I mean forever. Because according to Ray Kurzweil, uh, we are on the brink of immortality. There's an old clip resurfacing from a documentary about Ray Kurzweil. Ray Kurzweil is a, a computer scientist and he's much respected in Silicon Valley and has been for decades now. And Ray Kurzweil has predicted that within about eight or so years, mankind will achieve in this world eternal life. Kurzweil says revolutions in genetics, nanotechnology, and robotics will usher in the beginning of the singularity. 
Kurzweil feels with sufficient genetic technology it should be possible to maintain the body indefinitely, reversing aging while curing cancer, heart disease and other illnesses. Kurzweil envisions nanobots which allow people to eat whatever they want while remaining thin and fit, provide copious energy, fight off infections or cancer, replace organs and augment their brains. Eventually people's bodies will contain so much augmentation they'll be able to alter their physical manifestation at will. Kurzweil writes that by 2010 a supercomputer will have the computational capacity to emulate human intelligence, and by around 2020 this same capacity will be available for $1,000. After that milestone he expects human brain scanning to contribute to an effective model of human intelligence by the mid 2020 these two elements will culminate in computers that can pass the Turing test by 2029. By the early 2030 the amount of non-biological computation will exceed the capacity of all living biological human intelligence. So this is not a new documentary. This is obviously not a new prediction. Ray Kurzweil has made all sorts of predictions over the years, and you might say this is totally far-fetched. And then you just start hearing some of his predictions. Well, he did say, he did kind of predict when AI would start to really develop, and then he kind of predicted almost perfectly when AI would really start to take off. And he's made a lot of other predictions, too. Uh, According to Ray Kurzweil and his supporters, out of the 147 discrete predictions he has made about technology and humanity in the future, 86% of them have come true. So are we going to live forever here on earth? I don't believe it. I I don't quite believe it. 86% right means that you were wrong 14% of the time. I'm no mathematician, but that's, I think, how the numbers work out. And here's why I think that. Here are some of the other predictions Ray Kurzweil has made. He accurately predicted that consumers will be able to design their own clothes with precise measurements and style requirements from home computers by 1999. And that That happened. The world's best chess player would lose to a computer by 2000. That happened. Deep Blue totally destroyed Kasparov with facts and logic. That people would primarily use portable computers in a wide range of sizes and shapes by 2009. 2009 maps almost exactly with the development of the iPhone. Here we go. I got this one over here. We have all sorts of supercomputers. Yep. Little miniature, miniature computers rather. And the majority of the world would have high bandwidth wireless internet access at all times by 2010. Seems to have basically come true. All of those predictions are rather limited in scope, though. Those are the kinds of predictions that futurists and technology-minded people have accurately made for centuries now. The immortality prediction is something that Power-mad fallen humans have, have predicted and sought after since the dawn of time. Since, since the earliest myth, mythical conceptions of humanity, we have sought after that. And I don't, I don't see it happening. Just as Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden might have reached for that tree of the knowledge, <laughs> well, they did reach for the, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but they might have reached for the tree of life and they were booted out of the garden, just as the ancient Babylonians were building up that Tower of Babel. They were just about to reach heaven and then they were all scattered. I just don't think we get there. I think that human beings 
even if we're even if we're blundering into that sort of thing, we we will be protected for our own good by our own incompetence. And I, I just I just don't buy it. I think these are people who could have eternal life if they wanted it. They just got to say the word. And they're not going to do it through their own efforts and their own computers. Now, where does America stand? America is. Uh, at a crossroads because both sides seem to not like the country that much anymore. <laughs> the left doesn't like America because of what America has been. America's so evil. It's got the original sin. And so oh, that's the slavery. And so it's always bigoted and evil. And the right is increasingly disenchanted with America because America is standing for what? America is standing against the rule of law, standing against self-government. America's standing against Christianity. America's standing against even the distinction between men and women. And America's values that we're exporting around the world are what? It's wokeness and the rainbow flag. You just had the Pentagon confirm that LGBTism is a, a key American value that we are protecting overseas. That's what, we're, that's what we're exporting. No longer truth, justice in the American way. We're just trying to raise a pride flag in Kandahar. Okay, count me out of intervention then, I guess. Sonny Hostin made this point on The View. Sonny Hostin, one of the cackling hens, who, who said, America, we're no better than any other country around the world. When I listened to Christopher Wray, the, president, the, the head of the FBI, he said white supremacy is the biggest domestic threat to this country. And so as a woman of color with a six foot two black kid in college and a five foot seven, five foot eight black kid in high school, I don't see that part of American exceptionalism. I'm sorry. No. I think this country has a lot of problems that could be solved. Yes, maybe they're putting uh, Muslims in jail in Afghanistan, I think you mentioned, and China. And China they're putting a lot of black, more black people in jail but here. Can I there it is. So, so yeah, sure, China is engaged in a process of mass sterilization. They've long been engaged in a process of uh, mass slaughter through abortion. And yeah, they're, they're engaged in ethnic cleansing and they're sending a particular religious and ethnic group to a prison camp. But America arrests black street criminals. So it's like kind of, it's kind of the same thing, right? I don't think it's the same thing. You'll see a lot of knee-jerk right-wing reactions to this clip from The View. They'll say, you're anti-American. How dare you make a comparison between America and any other country on earth? I don't think that's necessarily beyond the pale. I'm not opposed in principle to making these kinds of comparisons. I made one of these comparisons yesterday. They said that the United States, uh, we al allege that we're going to ban TikTok. That's why the, the Uniparty in Washington, D.C. is in favor of this bill, the Restrict Act, to ban TikTok. Except the bill doesn't ban TikTok. What it does is it gives the government and unaccountable bureaucrats more control over what people get to say on the internet. That's my problem with it. We point out that China has a social credit score. Well, America, in many ways, has a social credit score. If you say things that are heterodox or if you say things that contradict the, the prevailing line of the regime, or if you say things that are genuinely nasty, you can be completely ostracized from society, put on a no-fly list, debanked, kicked off of every social platform. You're, you're just done. Is that so different from a social credit score? China has mass surveillance. Oh, you want to talk to Americans about mass, mass surveillance? <laughs> uh, yeah, I think 
I think uh, we, we know a thing or two about surveillance of our own citizens in this country. Well, in China, they arrest political dissidents. Oh, uh, yeah. Tell me, how are the grannies doing in solitary confinement? Because they decided to take a picture in the Capitol Rotunda on January 6th, the worst day ever in the history of the world. Yeah. No, I, look, these comparisons are fine to make. It's a way of improving our own country. But the comparison that Honey, Sonny Hostin is making here is inapt. What Sonny Hostin is doing is simply encouraging criminality. Saying, yeah, the, the Chinese are persecuting the Uyghurs the way the American government persecutes black men. The difference is the Uyghurs aren't committing crimes. And they're not having the law, which applies to everybody, just enforced against them sometimes, frankly, not even all of the time, which is what we're talking about here. When you say, well, black men are being arrested at disproportionately high rates. Not really. They're, they're just committing crimes at disproportionately high rates. Would that it were not so. Well, it'd be great. Let's try to reform something. That's fine by me. But the libs don't want to reform anything. In fact, the libs want to encourage criminality and go easier on the criminals, which means they won't be rehabilitated. They won't be reformed. These problems are going to persist. They're going to plague, in particular, these communities. But if you go soft on it, you're just going soft on crime, which is, of course, what the libs want to do. The libs encourage this criminality because it allows them to clamp down and claim more power, and it allows them to use these groups of people as a cudgel to intimidate ordinary innocent civilians. I'm not just talking about street criminals in the inner cities. I'm talking about people at universities. There's a Wayne State University professor, Stephen Shaviro, who has just come out and encouraged leftists to murder me, to murder me, to murder Matt Walsh, to murder Ben, to murder, to murder all of us here at the Daily Wire, and to murder Tennessee legislators, and to, to, but specifically to murder conservatives who come to college campuses and speak out in defense of reality against the absurdity of transgender ideology. Here's what he said. He said, here is what I think about free speech on campus. Although I do not advocate violating federal and state criminal codes, I think it is far more admirable to kill a racist, homophobic, or here's the key, transphobic speaker than it is to shout them down. What does transphobic mean? It means pro-reality. Transphobic, the irrational fear of, of affirming disturbed people in their misperception of reality of encouraging people who, according to at least one major study, are the most likely to support violent radicalization, to encourage them to kill us. That's what the professor's done. The professor has been suspended. He obviously should have been fired on the spot and perhaps should be prosecuted. I'm not sure that this statement rises quite to the level of a direct threat, but we are all giving speeches now. We'll see. I've got a lot of speeches lined up. I have no intention of shutting them down there. I think that we'll, we'll, we'll see how, how much vengeance the, the libs are trying to wreak. But as of now, all of these speeches are on and uh, we're going to continue. We're going to continue to speak the truth. And I don't care if some Wayne State University professor is threatening to or encouraging his students to kill us all we will not be made in lies. This is, uh, we will not be made to live in lies. This is, this is the greatest political revolution in the history of the world. It's the political revolution of Christianity. Until 
the incarnation and the crucifixion and the resurrection. Until that time, political rulers had a trump card, which is if you don't do what we say, even if what we say is harmful, even if, we, if what we say is false, if you don't live according to the lies that we insist you live under, we will kill you. And that was that, and that's the end of life, and then you're over. And what the pivot of history, the incarnation, inaugurates is a period in which political rulers lost that trump card. Because no matter how tyrannical and powerful a political ruler is, they can't, they can't take away your soul, and they can't take away your eternal life. They can, they can make you scream, but they can't make you talk. <laughs> they can't make you repeat their lies. They can make you scream. They can harm your body, but they can't take away your life, ultimately. They can't take away your life. We've got a lot more coming up in the member block. We've got a lot on AI. Producer Jacob has taken over the show today. We'll see how he does. Head on over to the Knowles Stradamus Memberum Segmentum, dailywire.com slash Knowles. Promo code Knowles at checkout for two months free on all annual plans.